Mary is one of those people you feel like you have known your entire life. Like an old family friend you might have met as a kid, but still feel comfortable with after not seeing them for decades. She is the executive director here at the Santa Fe Animal Shelter. She came here to accomplish a miracle, and, less than seven years later, she did just that. What becomes apparent a few moments after meeting her is that she is perfect for this. Mary displays an ideal combination of passion and authority. Under her leadership, the Santa Fe Animal Shelter became one of the most well-regarded animal shelters in the country, and all to think she came here somewhat unexpectedly. I was working in a, uh, I was working for a nonprofit in Los Angeles. Actually, it was a nonprofit that I had started with a grant from PetSmart Charities, and at that point, it was 2008 or so. The economy had crashed, and PetSmart Charities decided that they were going to have us. Uh, kind of hold what we were doing at three clinics instead of the seven clinics that we had talked about doing. These were spay and neuter clinics. And when I was told that we wanted to stabilize the three clinics, I decided that I thought, well, I, I, I really miss animal welfare in a, a more broad way. So I, I thought I would throw my hat into the ring for a shelter in Los Angeles. I did not get that job, but the headhunter said, gosh, Mary, I wish I could get you interested in, in Santa Fe. And I said, I like Santa Fe. And so I was an opera fan, an art fan, and, and Santa Fe's beautiful, hiker and all of that. So came out for an interview. It really was that simple. And when, of course, I got here and saw the, the place and how beautiful it was, not only the shelter, which is spectacular, even then when it was only two buildings, but the Santa Fe itself, when you really look past the the art and all those things that it's known for. It's just natural beauty is so amazing. So I was, I felt very fortunate to be given an opportunity to come here. Great. And at that time, these buildings had just been built, right? Uh, no, they were built in 2005. So they'd been open four years. Four years. Just, yeah, four years. But there hadn't been a, a lot of growth past that point. So the clinic was still in a double wide trailer in the back of the buildings and uh, there were a lot of the things we've done since then weren't here. It's hard to remember what it was like back then, but yes, it was just the two buildings and a double wide trailer. When I when I started, uh, the shelter had what was what we call a live release rate of about sixty five percent. That meant that that remaining forty some odd were euthanized for all kinds of reasons, and uh, it was. I'm really not sure, looking back now, why that was, mm-hmm. uh, because it doesn't feel like, in hindsight, that it's been that difficult to move that needle as far as we have. But uh, at, the, at the time, I think there, the relationship between animal control and the shelter was different. It wasn't bad. It was the expectations were different. Mm-hmm. One of the the big issues, and it's now coming back to me, was the with the feral way we handled feral cats. So by just changing that one component, and I'm not sure if you want me to get into that here or not, but we used to take in feral cats, and it was we used what was everybody did then really was the catch and kill methodology, and when we realized we no longer wanted to be an extermination service for anyone, and made the decision that we were going to employ a TNR trap neuter return, which you have talked about at length on your uh, podcast. Uh, instead of using the catch-and-kill methodology, that changed everything in that moment because it gave us space and time. And then add to that uh, a new hospital and other things that we've added over time, and boy, we were off to the races. Perfect. Okay. I'm going to make a note real quick. 
Animal shelters and humane societies are remarkably diversified places. At least this one is. We perform spay and neuter, behavior rehabilitation, provide veterinary care, and of course, adopt out animals. But if you had to pick a single measurement to determine the success of a shelter, it's live release rate. That is the percentage of animals that leave the shelter alive. It's been really interesting to watch how every time we added a new program to this organization, even with the risks involved, because there's always a cost with programs, was we were able to watch an immediate, really immediate increase in our live release rate. So you add a feral cat program, and all of a sudden you have space to hold animals that might need your help. You add a really strong medical team to include a, an, a shelter medicine expert and an orthopedic surgeon who is also expert in high-volume, high-quality spay-neuter. And again, the number of animals that you're able to help goes way up. In addition, when you add a really good, high-volume, high-quality spay-neuter surgeon, you're able to help more animals in the community. And so the number of animals coming into the community needing our help, into our shelter, rather, goes down. So once again, we're able to work with animals who needed something more than we could have provided in 2009. And again, our live release rate went up. Then our behavior program started, and we started to provide services to animals. We'd never never even considered the behavior of animals before. Not really. We, we, paid, we played a bit of lip service to it, but not in any real sense. And when we added a, a true behavior specialist and reframed how we were going to manage the, the, all the dogs and cats in our facility, we watched a giant jump in our live release rate. Then we built a rehabilitation center and again, another jump. I asked Mary about what accomplishment she is the most proud of since taking on the top spot here. It's, it's a funny thing. I re, it's hard to remember what it was like when I first got here because now I look at the team that we have assembled and I, I think to myself, I get to be a potted plant because they, the crew that we have assembled are idea people and troubleshooters and people who, who want to work together to solve problems as opposed to being about the one instead of the collective. And, and, and it is a wonderful thing for, for me to be able to see because I remember a time when it was very, very difficult to people, for people to get, get out of their own way, that they were so invested in the reasons that we couldn't do so many things that they didn't have time to think about what they could do. And now we've got a team that to a person is all about finding solutions to the problems we face. And those problems change from day to day. So being nimble and being creative are the hallmark, I think, of this team, hallmarks, excuse me, of this team. And I, and I just admire everyone so much, and I'm so grateful for all of the energy everybody has put into this work to create what we've created today. As mentioned before, Mary is a blast to have in a crowd of people. She is a great storyteller, and what better stories are there than the ones we tell about our pets? Shortly after arriving at the shelter, Mary met Mandy. The first time I saw Mandy, I was walking through the shelter, and I was looking in the PC kennels, and there, I, I'm a sucker for a pretty face. She's a beautiful dog. It looks like she's got eyeliner around her, but more importantly, she had the most beautiful puppies you have ever seen. White with striped tails, adorable. And, but Mandy looked at me. She, her eyes were as big as saucers, and you could see she was scared out of her mind. And so I think it's instinctual in a lot of people just to 
try to help a scared anything. And so I went to talk to various people about her, what they knew. She'd been picked up as a stray with the puppies, which is always a little bit odd. How does anybody catch a dog like that? But they did. And uh, I, I said, well, what's, what's the plan? What are, what's we talking about doing? At that time, we didn't have a behavior program. We had no behavior lead. And so I was getting a lot of those looks like, I, I don't know what we're going to do. And I said what I always say with moms and puppies, I'll take them home. And the idea in my head at that time was that that it was very likely that I would not be able to help Mandy at that time. She didn't have a name, and but that I could at least save six out of the seven. And if I had a yard that I could keep her confined in and she couldn't get away, everybody would be safe. And so that's what I did. When I first got Mandy home, she reacted to everything. I couldn't bring her in the house. What I did was set her up outside. It was the dead of winter. And I set up igloos outside with... Um, with heater boards in them, and so literally raised these puppies in the snow in in late January in 2009, and uh, she would she would tolerate me being around, but if I approached her at all, she would bolt. So any approach, any human pressure of any kind, she would bolt. She was silent, so there was no barking. Uh, she would just hard stare you, but she would let me pick up the puppies and clean them and do whatever with the puppies. So it was an interesting, I was, I really never really figured out what her motivation was. Later on, we found BBs in her neck. So, you know, who knows what her interactions with humans, whether they were, she had few interactions or just a series of bad interactions, who knows. Mary's hardly jaded, but I want to bring to your attention the fact that she just said Mandy had BBs in her neck. That's an important detail that we shouldn't just breeze over. Rarely are behavior case dogs aggressive or scared for no reason at all. Mandy was obviously badly mistreated before she came to the shelter. I've seen lots of dogs that didn't make it that had behavior like hers. But what was the most interesting for me, Rob, about this, about, about Mandy, was that there were two things going on at the same time. So here's this dog that I didn't know how to help her. I assumed that over time she would soften some, but I didn't really know. But I'd also met someone who was a behavior specialist, the first person I'd ever met in my life who we would sit and talk about behavior and what it meant. And so these two things collided at the same time. She came, Suzanne Fuquay, came to my house and helped me with techniques that I'd never heard of before to try to habituate Mandy to humans or to rehabilitate her. It depends on how you look at what was going on with her. So all this time, yes, it was about this dog, but for me it was also this giant moment where I said, oh my God, there are tools to help these animals, and I can't tell you how many dogs that I had given up on because I didn't know how to, and now we were getting the tools. It was a, an incredible moment for me. It's been a long journey for Mandy and I, but now, by and large, she's just a normal dog. She has lots of dog friends, and uh, with if I am there, lots of people friends. But there was a time where any loud noise, if she could escape, she would rip through a screen or, or, or try to break through glass. She would bolt and would always come back, but it might be hours. But now, really, she is a normal, a normal dog, but completely devoted to being. Most dogs are devoted to their owners, but at one, one day she took off after a rabbit. My husband and I were uh, hiking up in the hills, and I was starting to panic uh, stupidly because it was only a minute or two. And he said, do you really think that dog is ever going to leave you? 
and he was right. She she never will. She she's completely devoted, and I think that's true of so many scared animals when they're fine when that fear factor is been removed from their life they they know or at least they equate the removal of that fear to a human being or something that has has made them feel safe and boy they're going to hold on to that for their just for their dear life for sure the reason we focus so much on mandy here is because she's so symbolic of the progress the shelter has made under mary's guidance as should be clear by now, Mandy is the kind of dog that would have been euthanized in other shelters. Hell, she may have been euthanized in this shelter if Mary hadn't picked her out. But now, we take in dogs like Mandy almost every day, and it's rare that one of them does not make it. Under Mary's tutelage, we've taken our live release rate from 65%, which is about the national average, to 95%. That's almost unheard of for a generally open admission shelter. In other words, a shelter that'll take in pretty much any animal that comes to it. Mary will be leaving us in the next few months. She's off to revolutionize the way another shelter saves lives. But it cannot be overstated the effect she's had on this place. On me. On all of us. The initiative she has taken here has saved thousands of animals. And that's not an exaggeration. You will be sorely missed, Mary. Just remember to come visit your high desert family from time to time.